the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think... Hi, and welcome to Behind the Headlines on the South Radio Network. I'm Joe Quinn, and my co-hosts this week are Ian Bradley. Hi, everyone. Harrison Keeley. Hello. William. Hello, everyone. And Carolyn. Hi. So, this week we are going to be talking about, well... The kind of obvious, I suppose, uh, which is <clears throat> the generalized madness that is taking place uh, in political circles in America in particular, but also extending to and infecting uh, Atlanticist, Atlanticist countries uh, in Europe, which is pretty much all of them. Um, and the reason the kind of uh, insanity and meltdowniness is happening uh, there seems to be, well, we can only put it down to the fact that it's about five days, or is it four days now, four or five days, until <clears throat> the great uh, yellow, yellow-headed, yellow-haired redeemer uh, is going to uh, take office in the greatest democracy the universe has ever known and restore order to the multiverse. So the Trumpeting will of be course, in the house. <laughs> Exactly. And of course, um, this is something that uh, some people aren't very happy about. Now, of course, I'm being a bit facetious. I'm not saying Trump's going to make the the world a better place or solve all the problems or whatever. But what does seem to be true is that, and I'm sure everybody and and their dog know this, have seen this over the past uh, two or three months, basically since Trump got elected and even beforehand, uh, there seems to be a lot of jitters in... um, to put it mildly, uh, amongst the established ruling elite uh, in the West in general, and particularly in the US, uh, at the prospect of uh, a Trump presidency, which is, you know, uh, strange to us. It's strange to us um, because we don't really see Trump necessarily as someone who was who would shake things up. As most people know, having read Zot.net or listened to the show, know that the only reason we really support Trump uh, is because he's not Hillary. Uh, so we were, we, were, we were basically the opposite camp uh, of the anybody but Trump. We were anybody but Hillary. Uh, so we're happy enough that, uh, that, that Hillary didn't get in. And of course, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting that um, no, the reasons we're happy enough that Hillary didn't get in should, you know, or well, it should be well known to everybody. Anybody who has any sense knows that Hillary will be in a very bad day because uh, she represents the established uh, political elite in, in the USA that has ruled the USA for a very long time and they've destroyed it and progressively destroyed it and have created chaos and mayhem all around the world. And they, these are the people that were that over the past couple of years have been bringing us closer and closer in theory to some kind of open war with Russia, which no one on the entire planet uh, once. So obviously Hillary being gone was a good idea. Anybody who doesn't understand that is clueless. I mean, you have to be a snowflake or a, a 
some other retiring kind of creature that doesn't usually stick its nose out of the ground except but to to uh, get a whiff of what they really believe and then hide again, you know. Um, could I add one other qualifier? Yes. I mean, Trump could yet effectively represent the establishment in the way you just described for Hillary. However, it does not look, so, based saying, on what he says and the reaction to him from Celeste, not even not that even, he's yeah, going that way. Not even based on what he says. Well, that's what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that it's surprising to us that uh, there seems to be so much... Uh, angst over a Trump presidency because we figured, okay, well, he's better than Hillary, but we, uh, further than that, we don't know what to say. We're not going to say anything in particular that he's going to save anybody or change anything up because, you know, he's not a politician, but he was running a campaign to, to, for the White House. And of course, he was going to say lots of stuff, like all politicians do, say lots of stuff that to get them elected and then not do it afterwards. That's what they all do. It's a, it's a, it's a, a tradition. In, in politics to do that. So we didn't uh, put any stock in, in anything he said necessarily that he would do it. But that's what I was saying is the, is the fact that, that they are the, the established political elite in the U.S. seem to have rounded on him, which is surprising to us and curious to us because it suggests that there's something wrong with Trump from the point of view of the established political elite. That's the main piece of evidence that there's something about Trump. Uh, or that these people are worried about Trump. If he wasn't uh, in the club, nobody would be freaking out. Right, exactly. Why would yeah. they be uh, doing what they're doing? I mean, that, that evidence is, is pretty much, I mean, we've seen it over the past week, and, and like I said, in the past uh, couple of months, uh, that evidence is pretty clear-cut that uh, they don't like Trump. A lot of them don't like Trump. And, and all of the, the big names and movers and shakers, the people who in the know in Washington and with their fingers on the buttons and all that kind of stuff, they're the ones who don't like him. Um, so, yeah, that's why we call the show kind of uh, American political meltdown because I'm going to get into just the details of just how just how crazy Trump may, seems to be making these people and the lengths that they're they've been going to 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 try and make sure that he is, you know, on the same page as them. Uh, it's just kind of crazy. It's it's taken it to and. And I would say, I don't know this, but I would say that uh, it's more than just them trying to put a bit of pressure on him. They seem to be taking some pretty extreme action uh, in that regard, which for me anyway is suggestive that they really, they're really, that they're really scared. That it's not just that they think, okay, we've got to reel this guy in, but they're concerned that they may not be able to. Hmm. Yeah. This goes way beyond... Um this uh, Bill Hicks line when he's just describing how U.S. politics is all rigged up for an establishment behind the scenes. I mean, mm-hmm. other comedians and stand-up critics have said the same thing in other ways, but uh, he has this line where, you know, he's describing what happens once someone's elected to office. They bring the person in after, presumably after he's been inaugurated, sit him down in the smoky room, lower their projector, and they show this there's a Pruder film from another angle he hasn't seen before. Yeah. <laughs> and they, ask, they say to him, you got any questions? And he says, just what my orders are. Mm. This is a whole other scale because the guy isn't, hasn't even been inaugurated yet. And they've did him way more than, you know, stuff behind the scenes, just pull him by the elbow and say, listen, um, <clears throat> there's been a lot of stuff since, since he was elected. Yeah. Uh, and it's all very public. I think the thing that has uh, has got them a bit uh, worked up is the fact that Trump came out as soon as 
he won the election, and this was probably, you know, they could probably see this beforehand as well, but certainly since he won the election, he's come out uh, with a very strong, um, taking quite a, quite a decisive and quite a strong approach to, uh, in terms of what he's going to do, what I'm going to do when I'm president, and um, even to the point of, in the past, you know, few weeks, really, of, uh, of pissing off the entire intelligence community by more or less saying to them, eh, you know, your intelligence briefing every morning, not really that interested in them. You know, um, you know, sure, I'll take them, but you know, if I mean, if you don't, if you're, if you're not feeling well that morning, just don't bother coming in. You know, it's all right. Just uh, or if you're going to tell me the tell same me thing you later. told me yesterday, then you know, just put it in a bullet point. Yeah, skip you. it. I'll see you next week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's make these a weekly thing, huh? Well, you know, that kind of approach that he's taking uh, seems to be like. Oh my God! Because whether you like it or not, the the extent to which, whether you believe it or not, the extent to which presidents of the U.S., uh, for example, um, have relied in the past and have deified almost the intelligence community and how these are the people who keep our country safe and effectively, supposedly, these are the people who who provide all the information that informs a president's uh, policy and a government policy. So effectively, these are kind of like, these intelligence agents are more or less like a shadow government, or certainly I would say the upper echelons of them saw themselves as the people who are actually gathering the information that inform uh, the direction that this ship of take will will take, uh, or ship of state will take. Uh, So uh, you can see how a group of people in, in the intelligence community like that over a period of you know decades, let's say, who have been in that business in one way or another, would have grown to see themselves as the real controllers of the country, the real directors of the con- country, right? Um, because certainly there are people who have their who have contacts within. Okay, not the CIA director, CIA director himself, the FBI director himself, but um, certainly people in different positions who have contacts with the intelligence and influence over the intelligence community who have never been elected, who are not elected, but have access to all of that information and access to each administration's ear. So as each administration comes and goes, it's like those people stay uh, stay in their positions. So those are the kind of people who would get uh, would get to be quite uh, quite attached to the positions of, of, of significant power. Of course, you also have revolving door kind of thing uh, in terms of administrations and people who have come up in different administrations and then disappear for a few years and then come back to a new administration or in some advisory role. You know, it's all very complicated and murky, but there clearly amongst all of that, there is a, there's a strong argument for there being some kind of a shadow government, if you want to call it that. And the best way, I suppose, to decide that that is the case, that something like that exists, is to look at, I mean, just look at the last 15 years. Look at uh, the Bush, the eight years of Bush and their foreign policy, and then compare it to the eight years of Obama and his foreign policy. And what do you see? No change whatsoever. Exactly, well, change, but change only in the sense of a, tactics. A, a progression of exactly the same foreign policy, exactly the same attitude. Now, how can that be when, you've had a, when you're going from a Republican, uh, two Republican administrations to two Democrat administrations? How can that be? I mean, surely there should be some difference. Well, there's not, apparently, because in, when it comes down to it, they're all on the same page, i.e. there is some kind, either a shadow government or all of these politicians between Democrats and Republicans 
they're all just nominally Democrat and Republican, but they all understand what the real deal is behind the scenes and that it's about uh, the military-industrial complex effectively and um, controlling the world and making sure America stays on top and keeping every other nation down and doing that by, you know, spreading war, chaos, terrorism and destruction uh, wherever it's needed to make sure America remains, like I said, top dog. That's the bottom line. That's your. That's their. Uh, that that's their remit. That's their their job. And it doesn't matter whether you're red, blue, pink, yellow, brown, orange, whatever. It doesn't matter what political color you are. They're just silly monikers at this stage uh, for public consumption. Well, the re- the really awful thing is, it's not to keep America as a whole on top. It's just to keep that tiny one percent of one percent on top because the, no. the benefits of. America being top dog, if there were any, <laughs> certainly aren't filtering down to the majority of the population at all. No, definitely not. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so that, and that's a major problem. Yes, that's, and that, in fact, that's interesting because that's why, uh, whether these people, these, these Washington kind of insiders or the Washington elite they care to acknowledge it or not, and they apparently they don't want to acknowledge it. The re- that re- that um, what you just said, Carolyn, is the reason that Trump was elected. Mm-hmm. Because certainly for the last 15, 16 years, you've had nothing but the rule of a bunch of corrupt, political, jumped-up, toffee-nosed, uber-rich twerps who have been filling their own pockets and, and feathering their own nests mm-hmm. at the expense of the, the, the vast the majority of American people. And given, when given the choice, they... The, the American people said they'd had enough. Yep. Um, and that's why Trump's in power. And that's why, that's probably like we're saying, that's why they're freaked out because Trump, as bizarre as it sounds, the Trump win was maybe the first example, exa- uh, an example of uh, as close as it gets to real democracy in America being exercised in a long time. And rebellion. Uh, real democracy being the kind yeah, the definition of that kind of being where the people say no more and vote out a bunch of um, a bunch of corrupt officials. But uh, unfortunately, these uh, in this case, these corrupt officials have been there so long that they're kind of, you know, they're they're kind of melded to the establishment. You know, all those people in Congress and stuff, and uh, all the ones who who are the the, the kind of ones that seem to never change, the John McCain's and stuff like that, who seem to be stuck there, they're, they're, they've all kind of metaphorically been kind of like, their their skin has become grafted to the chairs in, in the Senate and the Congress and stuff, and, and you know, and, and to the seats of power, basically, and the people turning around and saying, out, uh, it's painful for them, you know? They, they really need to get a surgeon in there to actually, you know, detach them from, from the chairs, from the positions they've they've become so used to. Or somebody with a crowbar, at least. Well, you mentioned about the, like the the reaction to Trump's attitude towards the intelligence community, and what I've found really interesting over the past couple of weeks has been in the media, in interviews, you know, the talking heads, and in like these um, politicians talking to and about Trump the attitude towards um, the intelligence community and the attitude towards Trump's attitude, I think is a very interesting phenomenon because you look at the questions that get asked and the way they're phrased, it's as it, well, they are essentially saying, well, are you saying you don't trust 
the uh, you know the intelligence community and what they say. The implication being that you have to trust what the intelligence community says, right. and it's just it's unfathomable and mind-boggling that anyone could question that because that means well, who knows what that means? What does that mean? That first, what are you a a traitor to your country? Um, you're an evil person. Right. There's so much kind of emotional baggage that just gets a, lumped on to this idea of trusting the intelligence community. And what's interesting is that that kind of rhetoric has been going on for years just with um, with government in general. Like you saw this in the past 15 years with the truth movement, you know, 9-11 truth and how, oh, well, are you saying how are you saying that the government would would kill its own people? And just this idea that the the implication is that they couldn't, therefore they didn't. Uh, and they can't. And but what's what's remarkable right. about these past couple weeks has been that, in response to that, Trump and the people around him have just been saying, "Oh, weapons of mass destruction." It's like they've been doing this before. Why should we trust them? Yeah. Glenn Greenwald is on like BBC uh-huh. and I don't know, was it CNN or NS, uh, MSNBC or something? And he says the same thing. So for for the first time, you're getting these this counter narrative coming forward that's just plain common sense, and it's kind of it's. Uh, it's impossible to ignore because it's so persuasive because it because it's so it's just so self-evident that but now that people are saying it it's 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 like there's this sense of relief that i think a lot of people are feeling that someone finally people are saying it and it and it's just it's kind of unstoppable because there's all, all you've got is well how can you say that when everyone else is just thinking well it's just so, so obvious i mean yeah we why how should can we you trust not say it yeah how can you not say it and it, it's just this this interesting kind of polarization of opinions where you have this this really powerful um, um, kind of official opinion that's like you have to believe this or else you know you're you're um, a, a bad person and un-American un-American. But on the other hand, I mean, who really believes that? It's very few. I mean, it's the the hardcore um, Democrats and maybe some hardcore like establishment Republicans, but for the rest of the people, it's just yeah. like, they'll just listen to Trump because, well, first of all, even if they don't really have an informed opinion, Trump is so, um, you know, effective in his, um, you know, putting out his message that they'll believe him just because he's saying it, and that makes it even stronger. And then everyone else that's just kind of semi-informed, semi-informed will listen to it and say, well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> so I just, I just find it really interesting mm-hmm. what's going on. Well, the way Trump's been handling the intelligence community is, is also really interesting, too, because he'll put out these tweets of, you know, this is bullshit, and these are the people who brought us the lies about weapon of mass destruction, although he doesn't always call it lying. And then he will walk it back in relation to particular people. To I love intelligence. To, yeah, I know. It's it's really weird. Like Great he's, guys. They're, yeah, they're great guys, and, you know, they're doing a good job, and, and, and it's 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 kind of a i don't know if it's exactly cognitive dissonance but the way he sort of you know whacks him over the head and then pats them on the shoulder and 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 so he's mm-hmm. i don't know how he's massaging his relationship with them so i mean maybe it's a kind of a covert negotiation of look i will you know mm-hmm. diss you to the max in public or i can make you look good what do you want well, the way i see it what's, what's going <laughs> right. on is that you've right. got this, and you know, go ahead or well, I'll, I'll go first. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say that. Okay. Go ahead. That, that this dissing to the max in public, or or uh, and pat you on the head and in, in, in kind of private, or or do that alternatively. Uh, that's a threat that uh, I, I kind of see it as fairly smart because that's mm-hmm. the threat that the, these intelligence agencies have always held over a president, uh-huh. which is that listen, 
we can we can we can make you or we can break you type of thing so you 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 know you 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 pay pay homage to us basically and mm-hmm. trump came right out of the blocks after winning the election and, and said exactly that same thing to them and uh, or, yeah. or conveyed that to them by saying yeah intelligence you know what do they, what do they know anyway you know they're, they're kind of like <laughs> weapons mass destruction stuff and then says well they're not so bad and stuff so he basically did to them what they ex- were about to do to him or were expecting to do to him and he just got in there first you know yep <laughs> well, the dynamic I see playing out Harrison, is... Go ahead. I was going to say, do you want to take that call? Yeah, we've had a caller going. It's been a, it's a bit early in the show, but I say, let's go ahead and take it. So, caller 62, you're on the line. Can you let us know who you are, where you're from? Oh, we're not online yet. Okay, caller, are you there? You're on. You're on the air, caller 62. Yeah, can y'all hear me? Yes. Can y'all hear me? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is Stephen in Orlando. Um, I, I'm watching this. This, and I'm, I'm just. I'm really being blown away. I'm, I'm enjoying the hell out of what's happening. Um, I thought it was very. Uh, what, what really strikes me right now, which is, I, I think y'all are going to, you know, go into more depth later, is that these, um, the Russian hack. The Russian hack, you, you just hear it repeated. And then when, when, um, when I go on, I look at these media personalities, I've read their articles for years. Anybody that gives any credence whatsoever to the, the, the idea that the Russians hack, I know right there, then and there, that these are not honest people. Everything that they say on anything just doesn't mean crap to me. Um, the other thing about well, what's very interesting about what Trump is doing is that um, he's playing a really, really interesting game. Like, remember when he did the uh, news, his uh, presser, and um, and then he he offhand um, says that he he buys into the Russian hack thing in an offhanded way, and then he says, "Oh, but uh, everybody does it. Everybody does it. China does it, right?" So, uh-huh. um, what I thought was so brilliant about that is that um. If he would have just adamantly denied the Russian hack, oh, you're stupid for believing. If you if he went that route, there's so much momentum within the national press that he would have been seen as defending Putin, right? And he would have played into their hands. Uh-huh. So I thought that by him admitting <clears throat> that the Russians hacked was a a, a brilliant strategy to uh, deflect that and and. Um, mm-hmm. Because, like I said, if he would have uh, if he would have adamantly denied it, then he would be going against this huge momentum that's been building in the mainstream that it is uh, de facto a fact that the Russians have. So I thought that was brilliant. And the other thing that I think is brilliant is look at his nominees, you know, with respect to uh, these departments. Um, these people also are. Uh, Having to go along with the the Russian the Russia phobia um, because it's so it's so incredibly um, powerful within the establishment um, the the Senate and the House of Representatives they're so tied to the defense industry that um oh, that um Trump has to get his nominees through but um but what really heartens me is that um when Trump comes out and says that. Well, why wouldn't you want to be friends with Russia? You'd have to be nuts not to be on good terms with with Russia. 
So um, I'm watching all of this play out, and um, I just, th- I, I just, this is really an uh, an eye opening moment for me as far as the uh, progressive liberal left goes. Um, I have, um, I have just total disdain for any of these people um, that that are giving credence and in, in, um, promoting this notion of the Russia hack and the Russia phobia. You know, I'm just like I, I have nothing in common with these people right now. Yeah, I agree with you there. There was a there was another kind of brilliant thing that Trump did in the last week in one of his tweets about those uh, confirmation hearings, because he he said essentially, you know, I don't have the the tweet in front of me, but he said, oh, you know, uh, I exp- it's great that my you know my uh, appointed, you know, cabinet members are speaking their own minds, even if they don't agree with me. And so what he was essentially saying in that, it was, he was like, oh, well, no one has, well, on the one hand, he's saying no one has to um, just say what I think, because uh, it, the implication being I'm not a dictator that wants every, like, a, wants a bunch of yes men that just say whatever I want them to say. On the other hand, he was saying, I don't agree with what they're saying. <laughs> it was an, an admission that he, that he didn't, even agree with a lot of these things that his his appointees were saying during these hearings. And what were they saying? They were saying things about, you know, Russia and aggression and, you know, Crimea. It was a a way of tacitly supporting them, too, because maybe in private, their views do skew more his way. I mean, he does seem to have appointed a bunch of realists, but they have to say what they have to say to get confirmed. And that was a way of tacitly, you know, fulfilling the several points. I don't have yes men. I'm not a dictator. And, you know, these guys can express their opinion, which conveniently happens to be in line with the people who have to confirm them. Brilliant. Right. Yeah. And, and the, uh, the, the other thing I would, I would say is that um, since uh, it's very interesting, um, you know, and I, I've always, like, my identity, I considered myself on the left. Um, you know, but but um, if all of these people, these groups, all they have is to go protest and be outraged, you know, and call Trump racist, and they're doing almost nothing to better the plight to organize people into any political, any um kind of defined political movement. They're not addressing people's poor people, organizing them, homelessness. So all they have is just to stage these massive demonstrations and they get they solicit monies from the public so the leaders of these organizations can stay in power and have a, a megaphone and but they're they're what what strikes me is i'm kind of opening my eyes of like how little a lot of these groups actually do to better the life of people to organize people and um the uh the other thing i would i would like to mention is that a tie to that kind of um, realization is that when um, the Democratic Party um, ab- abandoned labor unions as being the institutional base of power and they went with the DLC the, uh, with Bill Clinton and they're and they're they're trying to get these professionals um, educated professionals as their base um, is it any wonder that um, things are going like they are because Right now, um, we have a, the situation for the working class is probably, you know, it's worse than it's been in 50 years. And, um, so the working, as working class people, you have nowhere to go within the Democratic Party. 
that are they, they didn't even raise the minimum wage. I don't I don't even think they've raised it a dollar in the last eight years. So everybody's having to work harder for less. And the Democrats don't have your back. And um, on the other hand, what, what's so tragic about this is that, you know, a lot of these Republican um, politicians, they're against they're adamantly against raising the minimum wage. So you, really, you can't put your your hope in that group. But then you look at the Democrats and they're always posing as being on the side of the worker, but they really don't go to bat for the worker and everything. So they'll they'll pass a minimum wage increase that it isn't even like commensurate with the increase in inflation in the last few years. So incrementally, everybody just gets has to work harder for less. And Obamacare is a disaster. And um, Hillary Clinton, um, Hillary Clinton is one of the most vile politicians to ever come to the the four in American politics, she is tied to the deep state. They were so um, they were so bad in such terrible decisions in use in working with the Saudis to promote Wahhabist jihadism to destroy governments. Um, it, it's it was such a horrific situation. They're helping create terrorism, and um, and this culminated this culminated in the situation in Syria, where it got so out of hand. That if Russia didn't intervene to help um, Syria not be overtaken by jihadists in the Islamic Islamic State, that would have eventually had spillover effects and and um, you know strike right at the core, the heart of the of the uh, Russian territory. So um, you know I, I'm I'm heartened by Trump, but um, I'm very um, cautious in in um, in my estimation of actually what he can do. I think he can he can make better relations with Russia, get us on a better policy as far as um, the Middle East. But as far as the economy goes, um, I, I I really think that some of his um, vilification of and the tensions with China, I think that that is going to work as a as a fallback for when the economy collapses. Trump will be able to look at China and put some of the blame onto China. So. Anyway, that's all I had to say. I'm enjoying y'all's show, and I'll, I'll look forward to listening to the rest of it. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Good to hear from you again. Bye, Stephen. All right. Um, I think we're going to – I want to play something here for you, too, because I think it touches on a few different things that we've already mentioned and, and some that we haven't Um and it's uh, it's Marco, Senator Marco Rubio, little golden Rubio? boy, Cubano or Puerto Rican or little Rubio. <laughs> hey, little Rubio, what are you doing in the Senate? Aren't you too young? Anyway, um, he uh, he took uh, took the lead in in kind of grilling a few of Trump's uh, nominees. For different positions, uh, specifically um, Mike Pompeo for the director of the CIA, and also uh, Rex Tillerson, who is uh, Trump's nominee for Secretary of State. And uh, this audio is from uh, the nomination hearing for Rex Tillerson, where Rubio is <laughs> gets to the point, I suppose, and makes it very, very clear um, what his 
what Rubio's problem is and what he expects from Tillerson and, by implication, a Trump administration in general. So go ahead and play it and have a listen. And listen carefully to some of the things he says. Let me ask you this question. Is Vladimir Putin a war criminal? I would not use that term. Well, let me describe the situation in Aleppo, and perhaps that will help you reach that conclusion. Uh, in Aleppo, Mr. Putin has directed his military to conduct a devastating campaign. He's targeted schools, markets, not just assisted the Syrians in doing it. His military has targeted schools and markets and other civilian infrastructure. It's resulted in the death of thousands of civilians. This is not the first time Mr. Putin is involved in campaigns of this kind. Back when he was just appointed prime minister before he was elected, and uh, I'm sure you're aware of that period of time, um, there was a series of bombings, and they blamed it on the Chechens. And Mr. Putin personally said that he would punish them, and so he ordered the Air Force to bomb the Chechen capital of Grozny. They used Scud missiles to hit hospitals, the city's main outdoor market, packed with shoppers. 137 people died instantly. They used thermobaric and fuel air explosive bombs. These are the bombs that ignite, and they burn the air breathed in by people who are hiding in basements. They used cluster munitions. He used battlefield weapons against civilians. And when it was all said and done, an estimated 300,000 civilians were killed and the city was completely destroyed. By the way, there's credible body of reporting, open source and other, that this was all, all those bombings were part of a black flag operation on the part of the FSB. And if you want to know the motivation, here's what it is. Putin's approval ratings before the attacks against the Chechens was at 31 percent. By mid-August of that year, it was at 78 percent in just three months. So based on all this information and what's publicly in the record about what's happened in Aleppo and the Russian military, you are still not prepared to say that Vladimir Putin and his military have violated the rules of war and have conducted war crimes in Aleppo. Now, those are very, very serious uh, charges to make, and I would want to have much more information before reaching a conclusion. I understand there is a body of record in the public domain. I'm sure there's a body of record in the classified domain. And I think in order, in order to deal with a serious question like this, Mr. Tillerson, the has happened uh, in Aleppo is be, in the public domain. The videos and the pictures are there. Fully informed before advising the president. Well, I encourage you. There's so much of it. There is so much information out there about what's happened in Aleppo, leaving the Chechen issue aside. What happened there is clearly documented as well. There's so much information out there. It should not be hard to say that Vladimir Putin's military has conducted war crimes in Aleppo because it is never acceptable. You would agree for a military to specifically target civilians, which is what's happened there through the Russian military. And, uh, you know, I find it discouraging, your inability to, to cite that, uh, which I think is globally accepted. I want to, in my last minute and a half here, move really quickly to an additional question. In fact, I want to enter two things into the record, Mr. Chairman, without objection. Without objection. The first is a partial list of political dissidents, journalists, and critics of Vladimir Putin who were suspiciously murdered or died under highly suspicious circumstances. The second thing I want to enter into the record is a letter uh, addressed to this committee uh, by Vladimir Morza, who himself was mysteriously poisoned and is an opponent of the Putin regime. I'd like to enter that into the record. Without objection. Uh, Mr. Tillerson, do you believe uh, that Vladimir Putin and his cronies are responsible for ordering the murder of countless dissidents, journalists, and political opponents? I do not have sufficient information to make that claim. Are you aware that people who oppose Vladimir Putin wind up dead all over the world, poisoned, shot in the back of the head? And uh, do you think that was coincidental, or do you think that it is quite possible or likely, as I believe, that they were part of an effort to murder his political opponents? 
Well, people who speak up for freedom in uh, regimes that are repressive are, are often a threat, and, and, this, and these things happen to them. Uh, in terms of assigning specific responsibilities, I would have to have more information. You know, as I indicated, I, I feel it's important that it, in advising the President, if confirmed, that I deal with facts, that I deal with sufficient information, which means having access to all information. And I'm sure there's a large body of information that I've never seen that's in the classified realm. Uh, I look forward, if confirmed, to become com becoming fully informed. But I am not willing to make conclusions on what is only publicly available or have been publicly reported. None of this is classified, Mr. Tillerson. These people are dead. Uh, political opponents are your dead. Question was, your question was people who were directly responsible for that. I'm Senator, not disputing these people are dead. Senator Menendez. So wow. um, that was little Rubio getting all worked up. And Are you now or have you ever been a communist? Are you now or have you ever been? Uh, or have you now or have you or do you now or have you ever looked favorably on Vladimir Putin or Russia? Do you own a matryoshka doll? Have you, you drunk? <laughs> have you drunk vodka? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you ever eaten Russian caviar? Did you find it distasteful? <laughs> as I did? Did it gag? Did you gag? Uh, when, you, when you ate any Russian product? The response I'd love to have given Rubio at the point where he mentions the uh, apartment bombings in Russia in 1999 would have been for Tillerson to say, can I just clarify something, Senator? Are you suggesting that the intelligence agency of the Russian government carried out a false flag attack in order to justify a war? Well, he called it black flag. Black flag. Well, yeah. uh, that's what he said. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was just just to have that statement on the record, you know, because the well, elephant in the room is, of course, nine eleven. Well, but that's what's interesting about that about that comment is that uh, Rubio allows for for the idea that Russia, effectively, what he what Rubio is saying there is that uh, he's happy enough with the idea that Russia blew up some of its own buildings in order to justify war. Of course does not allow the same for America, that it may have done something similar sometime in the past, oh, I don't know, 2001 sometime maybe? No, 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 because that's because we're American, we don't do that, but that thing, kind of thing does happen. That's what Rubio's saying. Governments do blow up their own buildings to justify war and blame it on someone else. Uh but it's interesting uh, that he brings, yeah, he brings up those apartment buildings, which are from 1999, which were clearly the work of uh, jihadis, uh, Saudi-funded and CIA-directed, etc., uh, or trained or say, were involved with them in some way, these so-called uh, uh, Chechen rebels, but a lot of the leaders of which all came from Saudi Arabia. Um, and uh, the same kind of people, actually, that if you look at the... Uh, at the um, at our, the images for today's show, uh, you'll see a picture there of um, John McCain, uh, Lindsey Graham, Lindsey Graham from uh, from from way down south somewhere, good old boy, and uh, and little Rubio. All three of them standing there in 2011 in Libya with a bunch of jihadis, so uh, smiling, drinking. 
passing out brown envelopes, that kind of thing. Uh, these are the people who that year, um, I'm not sure if it was before or after, but they went on to uh, or had already murdered uh, Gaddafi and destroyed Libya. And the, these three three amigos were standing there. And these these three guys, McCain obviously is very much at the forefront of uh, hating on Russia and bashing Trump. Uh, Rubio obviously as well, and also Lindsey Graham. So it's very interesting these two people were in Libya, but of course, so many others were in Libya at the same time, British politicians, French politicians, uh, all whooping it up at the fact that uh, their jihadis had just uh, destroyed uh, a sovereign country and, 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 and murdered its leader. But, um, yeah, so, so Rubio, uh, Rubio also mentions um, the idea, or the, put, puts forward the claim that Vladimir Putin has killed just about everybody. Anybody who looked sideways at him, he killed him. Him, him himself. Personally. Strangled him. All around the world. That's all he does. That's why, he, that's why he's so busy. You know, it's not because he's, he's not looking after Russia. He's, he's flying around the world strangling people. And look at him sideways. Uh, this is the kind of guy we're dealing with. And uh, Rex Tillerson, according to Rubio there, obviously has to take this on board and understand just well, what kind of evil we're dealing with here. And believe me, Believe what I believe, that Putin is evil. Uh, it was just the whole, th- it was just ridiculous. I mean, Rubio made a fool of himself, but he's obviously, uh, he's too stupid to realize that he made a fool of himself because he really, really believes himself, you know. And these people are part of the reality creating, uh, so-called reality creator community uh, in Washington who, who think that they can just... Um, they can impose a reality that they manufacture in their, in their head. They can impose a... Uh, a world or worldview or <clears throat> a type of reality just by uh, just by saying it so by by forcing everyone around them and forcing the rest of the world to accept it as uh, as the way, the way they see it and um their problem right now is that um the reason they're so terrified about uh, Russia and, and because of and Trump and Trump's possible ties or uh Trump possibly not hating so much on Russia is that Russia and China, for example, have pushed back against these people uh, and kind of said no over the past few years. They've simply said to these American exceptionalists, they've said no, um, your reality isn't one that we want to share or want to allow to manifest, so no. And this apparently has made them all go blue in the face and, uh, and their response has been, because they can't really do anything about that no that has been sent to them, uh, and not, not only is it a no, but then Russia and, and Russia has put uh, taken action and created actual facts on the ground, created a reality on the ground that diverges strongly from the American reality, and they just can't handle it. It infuri- infuriates them. Uh, they lose the plot, and they start saying all sorts of ridiculous uh, things, like the stuff that Rubio was just saying. They start screaming and shouting and demanding that everybody recognizes what they recognize, and um, it's kind of hilarious. It's effectively, uh, in the rest of that, um, uh, wasn't with, uh, it wasn't with Teller, I don't think it was t- with Tellerson, it was with um, uh, Pompeo, maybe. Uh, in his nomination hearing, Rubio grilled him as well and asked him to more or less agree that after... With, with Putin, for example, uh, and Russia being in the news in America and having hacked our elections 
over the past couple of months and longer. And, and now with this ridiculous dossier, this is what Rubio's saying, this dossier that came out that, that smeared a, an incoming president, he wanted Pompeo to agree with him that the Russians and Vladimir Putin were thinking to themselves, we did a good job. So what uh, Rubio was obviously by implication or almost pretty much directly saying was that Putin made us punch ourselves in the face. Uh, that's effectively what it, that's what it amounts to, what they're saying. Putin made us do this. Putin made us, Putin hacked the democracy, got Trump elected against the wishes of the American people. Then he got us also worked up about that and angry at him hacking our elections, that we, the American, the Washington elite, then went and uh, looked for information that Trump was probably in some way in bed with Russia. And we ended up finding a bunch of information and we presented it to the public, but it turned out to be laughably false, which made us all look really bad, like we're a bunch of idiots. And you know what? Putin did it. Putin made us do that. He made us go and get a bunch of, you know, egg and smear it all over our faces and stand in front of the cameras and say, I'm an idiot. And I'm here to tell you that Putin made me do that. That's the kind of power, the nefarious power that we're dealing with here. And this is why we, this bunch of idiots with eggs in our faces, are the ideal people to lead this charge against this evil person who just made a fool of us. Uh, That's exhausting. How do you... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, uh, it's exhausting. Yes, it is. But the interesting thing is that in in that dossier, um, in that dossier that uh, this guy, James Steele, produced, there's an interesting little bit of information that he... uh, this James Steele guy that supposedly produced this dossier, but I don't think he actually did. He just got it from someone. Because if you look at this dossier, it's 30 pages of badly written, uh, silly stories about Trump and what he gets up to, all of his contacts in Russia and all this kind of stuff. It's just nonsense. But if you, there's about, I don't know, there's a few dozen uh, actual little discrete reports. And it seems this guy, this former MI6 agent who's really still an MI6 agent, uh, got this information from someone. He didn't write it himself. He got it uh, because it's written in, there's lots of spelling errors. It's written in a very you know, kind of interesting or strange style that is suggestive almost of a kind of the way that Russians would actually write something in a certain sense, but trying really, really hard to make it look like a Western document. Uh, and so he, get, he, he gets this information probably from some... Um, Russian oligarchs in the UK and their contacts who all really hate Putin as well. Or, and, and who knows where they got it from. It's possible this could ultimately track back the Russians and the Russians did actually produce this dodgy dossier mm-hmm. uh, you know, through many layers, layers of uh, covert operations to, to, to ha- get into the hands of MI6, this MI6 guy who's a, a confirmed socialist and probably hates Trump and wanted to take Trump down, had a personal vendetta against him almost, or really was personally invested in, in bringing him down. He gets all the, this document, puts it together, sends it to John McCain eventually, or sends it to his bosses, and the bosses send it to John McCain, and then they release it, and everybody laughs at it. Uh, so, but the interesting thing is this guy, James Steele, who supposedly is on the run now, but that's just 
I'm sure you've heard you've heard the bit of story about how he how he as soon as the dossier was released, he jumped, ran out of his house, and left all the lights on, and he's disappeared. He's gone to ground. He's gone down. You know, Sam, so Salam Hussein's own. Well, one, yeah, he's in, one thing, he's, he's in the safe house being questioned intensively. <laughs> yeah, he's, I, I heard he was hiding in Saddam Hussein's old spider hole in, in, in Iraq. Oh, okay. But that, maybe, that's, <laughs> not, that's not true. No, but so he just split the scene and left all the lights in his house on. That's how quickly he had to, had to get out of there. This is what the media are reporting. And you know why he's just disappeared? Because, well, those Russians, you know, I mean, everybody knows Vladimir Putin. Putin you look at Putin. Putin's on the just war path. wrong. He just can't. Oh, you just catch him wrong. Yeah, he's out there looking for him. Personally, Putin is out hunting this guy down with a pair of strangle hands. Uh, black gloves on them. Come to me. Uh, and um, But the truth is, obviously, that's just a, a, a load of silly spin to try and throw add on an extra layer of the, the Russians are so evil, they kill everybody. This is why I have to run away. No, this guy obviously doesn't have to run away. Nobody's going to kill him. And the reason the lights in his house are still on is because he's still there. Uh, haven't he so um, or he just went out for a while and he'll be back soon so that's all just drama and bullshit the whole thing everything that we're dealing with today uh, as you as we all know is uh, is just complete and utter fantasy that is deliberately put out there and it all is directed at making Russia look like some kind of uh, you know uh, boogeyman from a bad Cold War uh, spy fiction book you know so um, and it's pathetic but anyway uh, the interesting thing, this guy, James Steele, when he was still working for MI5, uh, you know, officially working for MI5, uh, he was more or less, in some way or other, uh, Alexander Litvinenko's handler. Oh. Uh, and Alexander Litvinenko was the guy uh, in, who in 2006 died from polonium poisoning, mm-hmm. which was immediately dumped at the door of Vladimir Putin with his strangling polonium hands. Uh, uh, who... I don't think they said he officially killed him himself, but certainly uh, Putin killed this guy, Litvinenko, who was a former FSB agent who turned kind of journalist kind of thing, who was living in the UK, uh, best buddies with a former guy who's dead now, Berezovsky, a Russian oligarch who hated Putin, you know, a bunch of all these oligarchs that hide out in London because they were kicked out of Russia for trying to destroy the country, kicked out by Putin, and they all hate Putin. So this guy, uh, Alexander Litvinenko, former FSB, he ran away as well and then just started spreading the dirt on Putin, trying to trying to spread the dirt on Putin, saying that Putin had killed lots of journalists, which is something that Mark Rubio just cited uh, to, uh, to Rex Ellison. Do you know, do you admit in your heart that Putin killed lots of journalists with his own hands? That's what Rubio's saying. And uh, this is what Litvinenko was saying back in 2006, uh, or prior to 2006, prior to his death, about Putin, that Putin had killed journalists, all this kind of stuff. Uh, they were just all hating on Putin. Uh, so it's an interesting link between Litvinenko and this guy who then produced a dossier uh, that's meant to smear uh, Donald Trump for being friends with uh, Putin and reveals in the dossier itself more of the same stuff that Litvinenko was saying and, and others like him uh, in the early 2000s about Putin. Um, so... Yeah, the Litvinenko thing obviously is nonsense. He was he did die of polonium, but if you, you can you can look up the details of that story. It's just nonsense. They blamed it on Putin. The official record shows that you know yes, Putin did it most likely, but uh, the details of it make it very unlikely that the two agents, two Russian agents, supposedly sent by Putin to kill Litvinenko, could have actually killed him or did kill him. Um, so 
it was someone else. And the real story behind the Levinenko thing is that he was probably uh, involved in smuggling polonium. Mm. Himself. Himself. Uh, he was a bit of a disreputable character and into everything and anything. And uh, he, him smuggling uh, polonium with the, with the help of this Borisovsky guy who's now dead, a Russian oligarch billionaire who's a... Uh, pathological liar, according to a judge uh, in the UK when he was in court. Um, uh, maybe 10, year, 10 or 15 years ago, he was in court over a, a fight he was having with another Russian oligarch, uh, Abramovich, who's the owner of several football clubs in the UK. Anyway, a judge called him a pathological liar in that court case. So this is the guy Litvinenko was hanging out with and the British government was uh, were, were, she- were sheltering. And Litvinenko's wife actually said that um, at the time of... Uh, at, time, at the time of his death, she said that her husband was carrying out work for the uh, for MI6, for British intelligence. Um, so he was probably smuggling uh, polonium from Israel because he had made many trips back and forth to Israel prior to his death. Uh, pol- smuggling polonium for what? Well, polonium is used for, you know, it's a product of kind of uh, manufacturing nuclear bombs and used in, in manufacturing nuclear bombs. But it has the... I mean, if you were to think of polonium, and we're talking about quite a lot of polonium here, relatively a lot of polonium. Um, it's probably the kind of thing that would be used in the manufacture of a, quote-unquote, dirty bomb. Right. Mm-hmm. I uh, don't like that that's popped up now, I because know. we've been thinking about that right. scenario, haven't we? Exactly. Uh, that that the this cabal, the deep state, whatever you want to call it in, in the U.S., will... We've been thinking that they'll want to do something either prior or probably post inauguration of Donald Trump to set the scene in a very dramatic kind of way, uh, and to to establish a kind of a, a kind of strictures or constraints on him in a certain sense by creating a very nasty fact on the ground somewhere that will have what will effectively sort of tie Trump's hands uh, to not allow him to just uh, enter office and do whatever the hell he wants type of thing and, and, and diss the, continue, continue to diss the intelligence services and, and poor little Rubio uh, and hurt his feelings by, uh, by refusing to call Putin a, a mass murderer and, 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 and pass more sanctions on Russia and, and support more jihadis in the Middle East so they can destroy more countries in the Middle East. Uh, Trump has to, has to be forced to do this. So um, that's worth thinking that something, some kind of, Fact on the ground could be created uh, by way of some, yeah, some kind of attack, some kind of uh, kind of event, effectively. Because you know, who knows? The kind of event that Rubio suggested that uh, suggested is is a real is a reality in our world today. Which he said it himself during the confirmation hearing, and nobody batted an eyelid at it. He recognized the the reality of a situation where a government could blow up some of its own buildings. Blame it on someone else in order to justify war. That's what Rubio said. Yep. So who knows? Um, but it's all kind of interesting, you know? Yeah. No. Um, just as a side note, this this, this um, dodgy dossier isn't unique um, at the moment. There are other things going around and getting some public traction um, in Europe. For example, a couple of days ago, a Danish defense minister spoke publicly about this um, the horrific threat Russia poses to Denmark's infrastructure 
the threat of Russia blowing up hospitals. Well, he didn't use the term blowing up, but he, he was referring to a report that had been passed to him by Danish intelligence, which stressed that Russia was planning at any moment now to launch cyber warfare in which it would deliberately disrupt um, key IT systems inside Denmark. Now, this was roundly lampooned both in Denmark and in English language media. However, the, the, there's, it's this, it has a similar hallmark to the kind of junk Rubio's saying there is kind of a kernel of truth inside of what they're saying. Because I've heard about such concepts before. Um, some of these ideas have been around a while. Well, they were what it reminded me of in this case was that... Um, I was just going to say it's, it's been uh, done. It happened to Iran. Exactly. Exactly. There is actually a, a case of this happening where a... Um, cyber warfare attack using a malware virus of, of so-called Stuxnet was implanted deliberately. It's known now as no conspiracy theory by Israel slash the U.S. to disrupt Iran's IT systems. But more than just that, it's one thing if it's Iran, it's over there, everyone understands they're mad, you know, Ayatollahs and all that. But um, there is a lot of circumstantial evidence that uh, IT systems in Europe have been what I think, this is my conjecture here, they've basically been booby-trapped mm-hmm. with Ooh. all sorts of malware because they've been finding they've been finding stuff lying dormant in systems and wondering where the heck did this come from. There have a number of reports over the last few years. One in Poland a couple of years ago comes to mind where it's a really like malicious thing, but it's just sitting there. It's not actively doing anything. Anyway, so yeah, th- this this horrific scenario, they're... they're, they're this Danish defense minister is talking about where the scenario is basically true in its nuts and bolts, but it's delivered to the public in the most egregious lie, mm-hmm. right. namely that Putin's on the verge of doing it. Yeah. No, what he's, what the real revelation here is that this kind of thing is, is been or has been already set up and these guys are about to use it. They will wreck the place before there's peace with Russia. Well, we, recent, we recently watched um, Oliver Stone's latest movie, Snowden, and there's a scene in here when, um, when mm-hmm. Snowden's working in Japan. Um, as I think he was working as an NSA consultant in Japan, um, and he was basically working on the, you know, the cyber, whatever they were doing cyber-wise over in Japan. And there's this bit of dialogue in there where they say essentially this, this exact <laughs> thing. They say, well, um, part of Snowden's job or part of the, you know, the team that was there was to install all of these kind of backdoors and dormant um, you know, malware in, in Japan's entire infrastructure so that if the time ever came when a regime you know, came into power wow. in Japan that the U.S. didn't like, they could shut down the entire country. And this would be a form of leverage in order to make sure that never happened. And this movie, like, um, Arias, yeah, go ahead. I'd never heard that actually explicated publicly, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I, I thought this is what they were doing. I didn't read what they were doing and that's what they were doing it for. You, you have, there's Snowden saying this in the documentary or it's, well, it's, an, it's, an, the, it's the movie, it's the film version with, um, you know, jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing Snowden, but Oliver Stone worked closely okay. with Snowden to make the movie and he said he wanted to make it, right. you know, accurate. So I'm pretty sure that, you know, 
Oliver Stone didn't just make this bit up for the movie, and there's a lot of right. uh, details in the movie. That's another thing, is that kind of like Sibel Edmonds, who wrote um, you know, her novel, Lone Gladio, in order to say a lot of the things that she couldn't, um, couldn't say publicly because it's fiction, you get the impression that this that Snowden was doing the same kind of thing with with Oliver Stone for this movie because we we watched one of the special features afterwards. It was a little press con or not a press conference, but a little, um, you know, just kind of talk with some of the actors and Oliver Stone on the release of the movie. And Snowden was participating by Skype. And in the film, what happens? Um, just this is just a kind of incidental aspect of the film, but the way that Snowden smuggles all his data out of the NSA facility in Hawaii is he has a Rubik's Cube, and he puts this tiny little flash drive in the Rubik's, Rubik's Cube and passes it to the like security guard on his way out so that he doesn't go through the, you know, the, the scanner, the scanner um, with it. And then the guy throws it back to him once he goes through, and he's like chatting with him as he does so. And so in the interview, they ask Snowden, oh, did you really do that? And he says, well, for you know legal reasons, I can neither I can I can't confirm or deny that I did that I actually did that. This was kind of just something that was in the movie. But I can say that I was passing out uh, Rubik's cubes to all my friends, and they were all over the NSA building in the weeks before I left. And then he just that's all he said. So there's probably a lot of, in the movie that um, that came right from him, and that's actually accurate. That he that hasn't been in the public um, domain before, that hasn't been revealed. And that one just struck me as as pr probably one of those things. There's another incident where they're working on some kind of cyber op um, from the Hawaii station um, during the the Syrian crisis, and the entire Syrian internet goes down. And it was actually the NSA that did it, and they, apparently you know, there was some screw-up because they'd used some Israeli code um, that was like out of date, and they didn't intend to actually have the whole internet go down. They were just trying to do one specific operation, and then they had to work to get the internet back up and running. But they shut down the entire internet in Syria, uh, you know, on this one day, and <clears throat> I don't know when it was, 2012 or something like that. And but yeah, so they've so back to Japan, they've rigged up the booby trapped the entire country, the entire country's infrastructure. So if you think mm. about, and it's, it probably it's not just going to be Japan; it's going to be countries like you said all over Europe. And that is a, that mm. is just like blackmail. That is the ultimate, you know, thing you can hold over a, a government's head. Well, you know, we control you. We can shut down your entire country. Not only that, we can shut down your country even if you don't do anything wrong, just so we can blame someone else. And yeah, it's, it's terrifying it, when you think about it. This is this this makes if you think about how they work and you think about the world today and what we've said before about why they would never. Um, a, go nuclear, or B, even have conventional all-out assault war, Russia, U.S., China, U.S., a combination of two or more of the other, whichever, because they clearly, I don't know if they anticipated this, but the, the way things have worked out, clearly cyber warfare is the perfect level at which to wage this so-called world war. Because you can effectively do the same thing as if you've just done shock and awe and taken out all their key infrastructure. You can wage it at the level of, of cyber warfare. And, it just and that way you don't, you, you look better because you can deny everything. Yeah. And it just happened in Turkey, didn't it? Well, that's what they say. There was a <clears throat> something, something went down in Turkey. I can't remember what part of the infrastructure it was that went down in some, some t city, some province, I can't remember. And the Turkish government said that the U.S. was running cyber warfare on their infrastructure. Yeah. This was just last week yeah. or the week before. 
It sounds that. like a perfect setup, too, that the, everything's being blamed on Russia for all the hacking going on. And then if if actually U.S. does decide to black out a country, it can always be blamed on Russia. Oh, they mm-hmm. did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and no one talks about the American angle, the NSA angle, that this that the NSA does this stuff all the time and has these capabilities. It's all the Russians. Yeah. Just, I mean, just, uh, they, you have to think about that. They knew, they knew what they wanted. A cyber warfare command. It's an actual military division in the United States. In the way you have CENTCOM and AFRICOM and all the others, that was set up right after nine eleven. Um, has its own massive budget, uh, its own facilities. Yeah, I. It's, it's not. It's not so much that they had the foresight to predict this day would come exactly, but there's something like that going on. Where um, we got to stay ahead, we got to stay ahead, and, and they have, they have up till now stayed ahead. You know, at, at all levels of, in terms of the size of their uh, their military arsenal, of course. But this is this is the next, this is the new era of it, the new version of it of, of the so-called arms race. It's it's staying ahead at the level of tech. Um, yeah, Carolyn, you. Uh... Hmm? You had something on um, on Ukraine. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a sideshow, but I just I just found this article in Politico a couple of days ago, where prior to the whole Russian hack thing, apparently Ukraine, <laughs> pissant little Ukraine, was unhappy about the prospect of a Trump administration, and they had done their own little operation trying to at least damage it by by smearing his uh smearing his staff and remember when paul manafort resigned and when when was that how long ago last july i think you know it was you know it was kind of in the middle of the campaign and he was you know keyed up to be one of his key guys and what had happened was uh this gal named alexandra chalupa who had been working on uh She'd been a Clinton staffer, and then she had uh, gone to work for the Democratic National Election Committee thing. Um, she was already trying to find a Russian angle, so they were getting 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 that ready. So she started poking around and got this. I uh, got uh, sort of zeroed in on Manafort because apparently he had ties to Yanukovych, and Yanukovych and and, and talked to him, and and apparently. Um, influenced his decision to not go with the EU, but to go with Russia. So um, she found that it wasn't it wasn't exactly clear. It didn't make news because you know nobody really cared about that. And uh, other than you know, it just gave an excuse to to set everything off. But what she ended up finding, um, let's see. To do Washington administration, so she began researching him. She had contacts here, there, and everywhere, and so she was cultivating her contacts, trying to find some dirt on this guy. And uh, although everybody denies it, theoretically, she was just sort of a social liaison with the Ukrainian embassy. She worked quite closely with a guy named Andrei Telezhenko uh, under Schuler. Who was Schuler? I've got his name in there somewhere. Anyway, so what what they ended up finding or cooking up was a ledger that alleged that he was taking payments from a Ukraine contact, which then led back to uh, people in Russia. There's a series of memos. And uh, let's see. 
do, 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 do. Oh, yeah. And that somehow, according to a series of memos compiled for Trump's opponents by British intelligence agent, unnamed, maybe Steele, maybe not, uh, that uh, Yanukovych uh, took some money from Putin, which was then passed on to him, to uh, Manafort. And the idea was that his motivation was uh, Lyshenko suggested his motivation was partly to undermine Trump because apparently Trump at the best is ambivalent about Ukraine. I mean, it's probably just like a fly speck on the side of his vision, but it does tangentially connect to his good, good relations that he wants with Russia. So it ended up being another dodgy dossier. This, in this case, a ledger party, only partly of which was released so they got it, ran with it, forced Manafort out, and, uh, you know, tried to smear his campaign that way. And uh, mm-hmm. since then, it has come up that they only have part of the ledger. They didn't do hand- handwriting analysis. Um, and who said Manafort said that the ledgers were inauthentic and called their publication a politically motivated false attack on me. My role as a paid consultant was public. There was nothing off the books, but the the way it was presented was to make it look shady. Uh, He felt particularly wrong by efforts to cast his work in Ukraine as pro-Russian. All of my efforts were helping, you know, to help Ukraine move into the West. But apparently when he was trying to help Ukraine, Yanukovych looked at the options that were presented and said, eh, this doesn't look like as good a deal as I'd want. So anyway, that was Ukraine's little... Let's get Trump mm-hmm. moment. And it seemed to be – it's a fairly long article, but in terms of the play it got in the news, other than Manafort left, nobody seemed to pay much attention. The Times did one article, and it just kind of vanished. So, you know, it's it's uh, you know not just Russia gunning for Trump. I don't know. It's ridiculous. But uh, it's interesting to watch Ukraine try to play with the big boys. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's just um exactly it is funny to see Ukraine trying <laughs> Ukraine yeah. today post my try, try and do anything. Yeah, well at this point too, they're they're really now that he got elected, they are desperately trying to walk it back because it says none of the Ukrainians have any access to Trump. They are all desperate to get at it and are willing to pay big for it. So now they have their mm. egg to deal with too. <laughs> mm. Um, we've we've already said that you know as we've said a number of times in other contexts that look there isn't going to be a world war there isn't going to be a conventional war however there's still conventional war maneuvers going on that's part of the information slash cyber war level of, of the playing field where it's really taking place this battle um, but a couple of interesting items since the new year, there's been a big troop movement to Eastern Europe uh, of U- some 4,000 U.S. troops and 2,000 tanks from Germany arrived in Poland. I think if that's due to be stationed further on, are they due to pass into Lith- Lithuania or stay in Poland? I'm not sure about that. Does anyone here know? I thought they were for Poland, but I'm not totally sure. They're for Poland, uh, yeah. In transit Poland. Okay. from, they've arrived in Germany in transit to Poland. Um, okay. Doesn't say anything about them moving um, on from there. But somebody made the interesting comment. I can't remember where I saw it. That everybody seems to be behaving as if nothing's going to change. Like there's this higher plan, 
and everybody's moving along with it regardless of what Trump does. You know. Well, it's, the, it's, the, their yeah. specific grief was that they, these troops had to arrive and be set up and installed by January 20th, the inauguration of Donald Trump. So it's creating a fact on the ground. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah, you're right. They're carrying, they're carrying on. They're rapidly carrying on as they do in order, I think, in a general sense, to have as many facts on the ground as possible to make it as difficult as possible for Trump to come in and actually just change the way things are. Mm-hmm. Um, Russia, for what it's worth, has responded not in exactly the same way, but they, they did, um, they sent out S-400 air defense systems around Moscow. Mm. That's, a, that's a qualitatively different move, but it does seem to be a, a response to it. It's, it's, it's defensive in nature, of course, but um, well, that it does. Be left out. <laughs> and what also is interesting yeah. is that this troop deployment was actually moved ahead uh was moved ahead a week to in order to accomplish the earlier dateline that they required. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I mean that. <laughs> there's two ways to look at that that I can think of. One is um, the possible, the more likely, as we've just been saying, that the point of that is to um, to solidify these these facts in the ground. I mean, what does that say if you're if you fast track a bunch of troops, what, eight, 4,000 troops or 8,000 troops or something <coughs> to uh, Poland uh, to defend against Russian aggression, uh, then you're, you know, you're bolstering that, that argument or that, um, that point you're making. Uh, you're giving it more, more, uh, more concrete uh, substance effectively by, by by putting those troops in, in place, it's telling everybody um, this is how seriously we believe our right, own BS. Right, our own bullshit is um, is is real because we're doing this. Because who would do this if they didn't really think that Russia was a deadly, dire threat to all of Eastern Europe? Uh, but of course, you know, um, yeah, you, you can see it in a different way and see that it's basically uh, it's part of a propaganda campaign to demonize Russia and to to. Th- you know, full spectrum dominance against Russia to attack Russia in every single possible way. To uh, because it's an act, Russia clearly Russia simply uh, asserting itself in its own backyard effectively is uh, is an ex- existential threat to America. That's yeah. the only conclusion we can draw from this from the from the response, the hysterical response over the past number of years to a few relatively benign uh, and in fact positive. Moves by Russia, particularly in Syria, uh, the response of America has been to scream bloody murder mm-hmm. and uh, and make out like uh, like Russia is going to take over the whole world. But well, if you own the, if you think you own the whole world and Russia is basically chipping away at that, uh, then yeah, um, it, it can probably feel like that to the to the globalists as you might say, the people who think that uh, that they own the world uh, and, and don't have to share it with anyone. Uh, mm-hmm. the, o- the other way to look at the troop movement in Eastern Europe is obviously that um, they are actually planning some kind of a confrontation, but we've always yeah. been very cautious about that because just for, for very practical reasons in the sense that while these people are in, in Washington, the, the warmongers and the reality creators in Washington are completely nuts. They're not so crazy as to risk actual open war that could 
to spiral into nuclear war with, with Russia because then, yeah. you know, it's over for everybody, including them. Mm-hmm. Does, is it a PR exercise for Poland too, do you think? Like, you know, you're so important, we're going to state 4,000 troops to defend you, you know, shoring up, you know, that, that attachment. Yeah, Absolutely. It's a bit of an insult as well. Poland doesn't have you can't defend yourself. <laughs> I guess it's t- depending upon yeah. how you want to take it. There, there's a bunch of people in power in Poland who who wanted this since 1989. I mean, oh yeah, they're head over heels about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous because in a real situation, those four thousand troops would be wiped out. You know. Quicker, quicker can you, then you can say, right, aim, fire. You know what I mean? There's, yeah. It's right next to Kaliningrad, which is armed with God knows what missiles on the Russian side. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a stupid, well, it has its PR purposes, but it's, it's tactically, militarily, it's it's dumb as a rock. It, yeah, it's, it's, nothing. It, it's, it's nothing. It's no advantage. Yeah. There, there were a few crazy incidents um, during the holiday season. I hate calling it the holiday season in this context, but um, since, since since I was last on the show, anyway, we've had the Berlin attack with the uh, guy who they today said was off his head on drugs, some jihadist, that is, uh, plowing a truck into a Christmas market on December 20th. That's the same day as the ambassador, Russian ambassador shot in Turkey on camera. Uh, of course, the Russian military plane crash then on Christmas Day, our Christmas Day, December 25th, New Year's Eve, back to Turkey, um, one or two people dressed as Santa, shoot up a nightclub in Istanbul, killing 40-some people today. Update on that, the Turkish authorities say they've arrested two Chinese citizens, specifically ethnic Uyghur, yeah. um, East Turkmenistan. Chinese. Uh, well, that's interesting. Anyone want to talk about any any of those? Well, that, well, that last one, it's, it's an interesting tie-in with the the Uyghur or Uyghur or whatever you, however you pronounce them, uh, Eastern Chinese, uh, Far Eastern Chinese, um, <coughs> jihadi Muslims um, who have been. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that these people are effectively. This is. Um, uh, it's, what, what would you call it? A, uh, it's the an advanced guard, if you know what I mean, or it's it's breaking new ground into China with uh, Western-backed uh, jihadi terrorism. Effectively, mm-hmm. the West sponsoring jihadi groups to to give a country uh, problems. This is as far as they've got into China because these people have um, these people were actually being people from this eastern part of China, <clears throat> you know, kind of stirred up. Uh, not only Muslims, well, they are Muslim, effectively, as far as they're concerned, uh, jihadi types who uh, have been coming to Syria mm-hmm. over the past um, over the past four or five years to fight with the jihadi rebels in Syria. So it's it's almost like we, we described uh, in, in terms of talking about how, um, for example, look at ISIS or Al Nusra or Al Qaeda or whatever. All these people who who have been in Syria over the past number of years and who were in Libya beforehand, how do you get all those people together and how do you organize them? You know, it's quite a complicated, complex task to do that. And we've often thought of it in terms of like, you know, the recruitment agency, the international recruitment agency called Manpower, 
um, well, it, there's something like that, but it's called jihadi power. And it's like an employment it's, agency? It's an employment agency for ne'er-do-well, knuckle-dragging, uh, lowbrow Muslim types from around the world with nothing to do, who are just looking for some spare cash to go and uh, shoot some guns, basically. And they're, so they're collected, they're recruited in that way. Um, so, and someone's organizing it. Someone's actually... Yeah. And um, these guys didn't... They didn't show up in Turkey, uh, Turkey slash Syria in a vacuum. Hmm. Ten years ago, they were showing up at training camps in Afghanistan. Yeah, exactly. It's been going on for a long time, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's Genesis is back in the, in the late 70s and early 80s in, in Afghanistan against the Soviets, surprisingly, then, against the Russians. Then you say CIA. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, these guys coming from Eastern Eastern. Uh, Actually, at, uh, at, the, um, at a map of the world, you'll see that there's, uh, China actually shares a tiny little la- land border with Afghanistan. Look, Afghanistan, it narrows mm. uh, in, the, in the east uh, into a little strip of land that just pokes right through into and joins up with China. Uh, and right on the other side of the Chinese border there, <laughs> in that little strip with, uh, with Afghanistan, is basically more, more or less where these Uyghurs are. And... However, they've been coming. They've been coming to Syria for the past several years to fight with the jihadi rebels on behalf of uh, you know the West on the behalf of the CIA, MI6, uh, America, Saudi Arabia. A lot of them have and Turkish passports. Mm-hmm. Turkey exactly, gives them yeah. Fake passports, yeah. So, so Syria is basically. Or somebody in Turkey. Okay, I was going to say Syria is basically a training ground, and then they export them back to wherever they need, right? Right. Yeah. These are. This is just. It's. It's, it's manpower, literally, uh, that you that can be used to do whatever you want. Trained, you know, mili- military, um, kind of guerrilla manpower that can that can be used to to do whatever you want. Because these people obviously don't really. They're just. You know, I don't know what the psychological profile of them would be, but it's. Uh, it more likely to be in the, DSMV, uh, than than anywhere else. You know. Um. So. Yeah, and there, there's some link between those people and the, that um, the, the Turkmen group who are in northern Syria, who are also part of the rebels and, and were the ones who supposedly, the ones called the Grey Wolves, who were um, who shot down the Russian plane, or, sorry, Turkey, some faction within Turkey shot down the Russian plane uh, last uh, December, pre- year before last. and um, Don't the Grey Wolves show up in Ukraine guy, too? Uh, I think there might be some link there. There's, there's so many yeah. links between all these yeah. kind of groups, you know, that, that have been spread around in, from Eastern Europe and the Balkans mm-hmm. to Chechnya. I mean, there really is. It's a, it's a mind-boggling operation that someone is organizing here and someone's keeping keeping track of these people. And, you know, to a large extent, it's not that they're all completely fake. I mean, they are all fake in, in terms of the sense that they're all just a bunch of knuckle-draggers who are only interested in money and power. And, the and, flying and, stay and, away and, and, and shooting. Change. Yeah, and but and you know they they a lot of them, you know are imagine your dumbest fundy Christian convert young excuse the phrase redneck whatever Dylan Roof the guy who shot yeah. up the the church in North Carolina imagine was. someone like him or Charleston just you know people with really difficult upbringings and not a lot of education just brought up with an ideology and you know. And then, you know, manipulative, ruthless, exploitative people kind of above them, you know, who are in it just for themselves as well. 
Uh, I mean, there's been loads of reports about ISIS and stuff, basically saying that people who stayed with ISIS, people who were who who were kidnapped by ISIS and stuff, and 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 people who have had access to them, have said that the vast majority of them have very very bad understanding of religion, mm-hmm. of Islam, mm-hmm. of the Quran. Bunch of them can't even read. Bunch of them have never read the Quran. Most of them have no idea. Wouldn't be able to recite a passage from the Quran for you. These are just. These are just mercenary, lowbrow mercenary nutjobs, basically, who are only doing what they're doing because the West is paying them money and giving them weapons. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Well, you could almost say that the West, the West is actually producing them by, by pushing down whatever country they're from. So they have no prospects. They have no education. They have no opportunities. So, well, so it's, it's, it's like this vicious cycle. Well, that's not that's not entirely true. I mean, there are a lot of idiot, you know, knuckle draggers that uh, that join these groups. But uh, I've read a bunch of studies on um, like the Europeans that join and all the um, you know the demographics of of who actually goes to Syria to join Islamic State. And there's actually there's mm-hmm. they haven't been able to find any real predictive. Um, well, that characteristic of the people that would actually join. Well, actually, there's one. Like um, a lot of them are new converts to Islam, and so that would get to the yeah. one of the points that you made, Joe, about that they don't really have any knowledge. They they're converts to, like the Islamic State's version of Islam, mm-hmm. which you know they have right. their, their slogans and their their interpretations, and uh, and their interpretations yeah. are more important than than the than the Quran. But otherwise, like they some are extremely educated, some are totally uneducated. You know, some are. Um, you know, have great jobs. Some have no jobs. Some are criminals. Some are upset, upstanding citizens. Like there's, <clears throat> other than other than that, there's really no kind of, um, you know, ISIS <laughs> ISIS jihadi template, um, which yeah, is well, which gets maybe, into ponderology. Yeah, yeah. Although I would I would think that there's a for at least a decent percentage of them, if not a majority, the the ta- the, the the profile. Would kind of have to be one of not the most intelligent, uh, not you know, and okay, not yeah. intelligent as in you know what I mean. They can be intelligent yeah. enough in terms of in terms of being cunning and savvy and stuff. But just I mean, look at the amount of them that have been just slaughtered on, on the on the battlefield in Syria. Mm. What do you have to do to to put yourself in that kind of a position uh, just for money? Mm-hmm. You know, they're obviously. These people are extremely reckless. Maybe a lot of them are psychopaths, you know what I mean, or have some kind of character disturbance. That doesn't that doesn't speak directly to their level of intelligence, or whatever. But it says there's something wrong with them, you know. And of course, like but like you're saying, Harrison, it's not black and white. There are all different uh, kind of stripes of people who would join such a thing, and there is a genuine appeal mm-hmm. to the kind of thing that, uh, uh, from from a human nature point of view, there's a there's a genuine appeal in that. Uh, uh, someone espousing a kind of Puritan ideology. You're you know, looking for a cause. Where, a cause. Yeah. Well, not just a cause, but the, the puritanical nature of it in the sense that, you know, here is uh, the ISIS is trying to create this this state where, where, where you know, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rule or law lover's uh, utopia, you know, where everything is regimented, everything is, you know, uh, uh, Defined and, and controlled, and, and and some people really, really, really love that. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, it's uh, the attraction of puritanical kind of Christianity is 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 
it's attractive to certain people who feel a bit out of control of their lives or who who, who uh, just feel a bit uh, maybe a bit anxious or a bit concerned or a bit unable to deal with the, with the world and they they aspire to some kind of a uh, a world or a society where everything is simplified down to a very basic set of rules that everybody must follow. Uh, you know, uh, that's that's quite that is quite attractive uh, to, to some people. You know, yeah, yeah, and a lot of these guys actually like it's 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 a really complicated phenomenon. Basically, is what I'm saying, and it's complex. And a lot, a lot of these, yeah. Um, well, there was another study that I read on the people. Well, and this take this with a grain of salt because it was on all of the um, terror attacks that happened in you know non Middle Eastern nations, so Europe and uh, you know the few in the United States. So all the guys that get caught in these kind of um, big um, media events. Um, you know, attacks that might kill, you know, one to 30 people or something like that. So like mm. Paris, Belgium, um, you know, the, the guy um, in Florida. And the the justification that like 80 to 90% of them gave for, you know, being in, uh, for like, um, what, declaring their allegiance to Islamic State was because the U.S. was bombing Middle Eastern nations. So right. this, even, even if you factor in um, all the other... All the other factors like intelligence and, um, you know, mental health issues and um, being poor and wanting money. The justification for any, you know, anyone that commits violence is they usually have a reason. And the reason in their mind is usually a good reason because they, you know, they, they, they will justify whatever they do for a good reason. And their reason is that you're killing our people. And so that's a that's a big uh, recruitment tactic within these, like I'd say, primarily within the countries actually being um, um, attacked. So you'd get a, a lot of, uh, you, well, you do get a lot of recruits from you know primarily Middle Eastern nations, and it's never a, yeah. a large amount. It's always a tiny minority, but those, the, I mean, there's a, a subset of people that because they've been attacked will say, oh, well, therefore I'm going to go with this totalitarian puritanical. You know, group that offers all the answers and will give me whatever I want, and I and um, and I'll do anything for them. And you get this kind of yeah. extremist mentality that goes along with that. And what do you do then, whenever you go to Iraq on that basis? Uh, because you know you're going or not go to Iraq, go to Syria on that, or or Iraq on that basis because you're fighting against uh, American bombing of your people, and <laughs> you realize that yeah. that one of your jobs is to call in American American yeah. airstrikes. <laughs> On on Syrian and Iraqi people. Uh. Well, then you get then if you have a, a little change of heart, because some of these guys do have changes of heart. You know, they come back and they, or they go there and they realize it's not what they wanted and they try to get out. So and then some probably have an experience like that, and then you see them in the next uh, you know ISIS propaganda video as you know uh, a spy that they've caught from you know from within yeah. their ranks, right? And then they then they get executed. Uh -huh. So I mean. Taken care of. Yeah, it's a pretty crazy world. We're in. So uh, there's just a just back on the Trump and, and Putin thing. There's a story, uh, <laughs> whether it's true or not, but uh, Guardian, I think, and, and probably most other websites are, are carrying it. That um, mainstream sites are carrying it. That uh, Trump and Putin are going to meet very soon after inauguration day, That's possibly in Iceland. That's been retracted. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's false. Uh, it was. It's funny that it came from a UK newspaper that announced it, but uh, both the Kremlin more and fake Pesky, news. 
Yeah, Kremlin said no, there's no such plan, and and the uh, Trump or Spicer uh, ins- said, insider said 100 percent fake news. Yeah. 100 percent fake news all the time. <laughs> it, it's uh, yeah, it's funny. I mean, to see that 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 headline, Trump and Trump and Putin to hold summit within weeks, uh, coming out of the me- mainstream media, and their main reason that they would put, run with that story and then have to have the Kremlin go, no, uh, that's not happening. Um, the main reason they would run with that headline without checking it or, or just go ahead with it is because of the whole climate that we're in here where Putin and Trump are best buddies and it's, it's horrible. I just they're, can't they're wait banking. to see each other. <laughs> They've been separated for so they're long. long. <laughs> These long-distance relationships don't work. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't we they, just bring Trump, they, bring Trump and Putin together? But they're they're banking on people seeing the world as they do and being horrified at the prospect of that. Mm. When in any normal any normal reality, even if things were as bad as they've made them out to be, the idea that they're meeting to talk is is not a bad idea. It's, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Whatever happened to the Cold War, you know and. A detente and, uh, uh, you know, Khrushchev and JFK meeting, it's all good, you know? I mean, do people not remember that? That, that, that used to be good and, well, there was a meme, there was a meme on Facebook today, precious snowflake meme going, oh my God, Trump is going to start World War Three, but I wish he wouldn't talk to Putin. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, ah, ah, head explosion. That's snowflake logic. Yes. Or, Snuff, snuff logic. <laughs> oh, I got to still use um, that. All right, that, that's a new hashtag. I'm using that. Snuff logic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we got to um, make that a thing. What? Yeah. What? What day is the inauguration? Is it the twentieth? Yes, oh, no, Friday. Twenty. It's on the this. It's on this, Friday, so we have Friday. five, four, four days. Four full days, five days, in five days' time, it's all going to go down, or not, as the well, case may be. It may be a damp squib. Okay, they've got they've got Question. four four days. I just I just want to throw this in because it's it's four days. They have to to me. I don't know. They have scraped the bottom of the barrel with the whole shower gate thing. What else could they possibly come up with? In the next four days, I mean, I don't even want to think about that. I mean, really? I mean, how, much, how much more how de- can you malign? How Pardon? I, I know, yeah. but I'm just trying to think what else in these twisted little cretins' heads could they possibly drag out? It's just like, oh my god! And and the whole thing about the dossier: what kind of person does that information appeal to? That was what really exactly. Got me. It's just like, oh, geez, exactly. Oh, this I mean, is the kind of people how many, making the decision on security, and they go for that? Mm-hmm. Oh, my lord! Ugh. Yeah, yeah, Ugh. yeah. So it's, like, it's there in their landscape yeah, on display for all to see. Oh. The kinds of things they do, the kinds of things they find funny, they joke about, or even yep. they simply enjoy. Yes, um, they have some sense that most people don't really. It doesn't appeal to them, so yeah. that's why they stick it on Trump because they understand that people will be on the disgusted side mm-hmm. when they see it. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, s- such a low attack 
can only have an effect on that mass of people if they, A, know what you're talking about mm-hmm. by golden shower. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's so twisted on so many levels. It's like, but yeah, it's, it's the bottom of the barrel or, or not. I mean, how many times before have we said, can they go any further? Can they? And they, they never failed as surprises. So, I mean, unless um, they, they stick a, I think there's a more stripper and, you know, I mean, I can see them planting a stripper in the inaugurational supply thing. I don't know. Ah. <laughs> hmm. Well, there's a story that people are picking up on a little bit that it's a bit ominous, maybe, that the uh, the head of the DC National Guard was removed from his post. Yeah. Uh, a couple of. Uh, he'd be removed from command effective from 12 p.m. on January 20th, just as Donald Trump has sworn in as president. I don't know what that means. It's the Army General who heads the D.C. National Guard, who has an integral part in overseeing the inauguration. You know, well, <laughs> they're going to put a maturing candidate he's, in his he's, place. He's one he's of the shoot President Trump. He's one of the few posts that are made by the president. And not the military structure. Right. And it's just a formality that it runs out at exactly the time there's a handover to the new president. And yeah. all, all that's happened really is that Trump or someone close to him, whatever, has appointed said, someone else. Yeah, they've gone for someone else. Yeah, a maturing candidate. Right. It's going to kill him. Trump must uh, Trump kill has, Trump. Trump has put in a maturing candidate. Wait, what? Yes. <laughs> because Putin made him do it. <laughs> Trump, in, Trump in, order, is, in order to make the world. Think, what Trump is the maturing candidate? He's going to shoot himself. There we go. <laughs> Which will make America look bad. What? And just as just as he shoots himself, then Putin will brought, will suddenly come on every TV screen in America. <gasps> like happened? That happened. C-SPAN was taken over by exactly. RT recently. Exactly. They were just testing the effect. testing the technology to make sure they could do it for inauguration. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen. Did, did you see the head of RT's kind of, tweet? On that one, they were they were watching it happen and watching the the RT. whole meltdown. The the head of RT tweeted, they you know they saw mm. it happen. They were like, oh my god, what's going on? And the tweets and the posts and everything were going crazy. And then she said, we ran out of popcorn watching this happen. <laughs> <laughs> the long yeah. arm of RT. <laughs> we got okay. a call here. Oh. I'll just take it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, who have we got in there? Hello, caller. You're on the air. Hello, hello. Mm. Caller 63. Caller 63, come in. Are you receiving us? We hear some scratchy scratch, so I think there's someone there. There's a bit of scratching going on. Oh. And... But it's Ryan. But it's too far away in Australia. There's a sound delay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think we're going to leave it there for this week, folks. We've uh, we've covered the major topics and such as they are, and such as they are, kind of the sort of topics that you could even comment on, given that they're self-evidently just crazy. Well, yeah, something that's kind of crazy, too, is uh, Trump's new, uh, what you want to call it, a Batmobile, his new armored uh, limousine. <laughs> it's uh, even being equipped with shotguns and tear gas canisters oh to keep people away from it. <laughs> wow. New and improved. Yeah. That's how much he trusts. Oh, yeah, his... that's the other thing. Prote- 
the protests on uh, I suppose the planned protests on inauguration day mm-hmm. Michael Moore is going to be leading the field alright well he'll have to go up for biker against uh, bikers for Trump <laughs> well unfortunately Alex yeah. Jones said he wasn't going to go <laughs> oh. oh he needs to protect the president yeah <laughs> this bulletproof megaphone yeah oh god that's what should happen that'll be fun we got to have some fun out of this madness. What else are we going to do? The drive is bonkers otherwise. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. Uh, yeah, take us out there, Harrison. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for listening in. Thanks to Stephen for calling. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about the inauguration, probably, and whatever else has happened in the next week. So everyone, enjoy, take care, and we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Be back next week to talk about your new pr- to talk about your new president, <laughs> President Putin. <laughs> it's See gonna you happen. Next. See you next week. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs>